You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. This is your old friend, Mike White, bringing you a special interview with the author, Tom Rosten, with a book called I Lost It at the Video Store. Let's see, the official name is I Lost It at the Video Store, A Filmmaker's Oral History of a Vanished Era, which tells the tale of many famous and infamous directors and other celebs who worked at or visited video stores some great stories in this book i had the pleasure of speaking to mr rostin recently and it's a quick interview but i think it's a lot of fun so i hope folks enjoy what he had to say and please definitely check out the book it is not one to be missed My name's Tom Rostin. I'm a journalist. I'm based in New York, and I write about film for different outlets, such as the New York Times and The Guardian. For about the past 10 years, I've been focusing a lot on writing about documentary film. But before that, uh, for 10 years, I was a senior editor at Premier Magazine, which was a great movie magazine. How did you get into writing about film? I've always loved movies. I've always been a movie fan. I, I wouldn't say that I grew up as a cinephile, but basically I was a journalist writing about stuff and, and different cultural products in different ways. I got a job at Premiere and I was like, oh, this is great because it allowed me to focus on something. And I got to tell you, those 10 years were fantastic. It was a lot of fun watching you know, more than 100 movies a year and, um, and writing about them. So how did I Lost It at the Video Store come about for you? If you recall, in uh, 2013, uh, Blockbuster pretty much closed all its uh, outlets after going bankrupt. And it struck me that it was the end of an era, uh, even though there are stories still that exist. um, It struck me that it was the end of an era uh, in which that really... Uh, largely was the focus of many of our lives. That, that this is how we spent our weekends. We would go to the video store and that it had just been wiped away. And you know, it, it seemed to go away as fast as it, as it came. I mean, you can really... I, I, in the book, I, I mark it as from 1980 to 2005 when the, the, the reign of the video store era existed. But, you know, it lingered on till, you know, till, even till today. But um, it really struck me that it was, it was quite a phenomenon that meant so much to so many of us. And I read a lot of, um, about people being upset about it. I heard stuff from journalists. And I started thinking, well, what about the filmmakers themselves? Uh, how do they feel about the era that, that influenced them? I mean, the obvious ones that come to mind are Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. But as I soon found out, there are a lot of filmmakers who really came of age during that era and um, who really, you know, I guess as, as the title implies, they lost at the video store and it's where they were um, creatively and financially, you know, found their, their careers. I love that it's an oral history, especially that some of the comments seem to be directly commenting on some of the others. Was that kind of a, uh, a happenstance or were you showing some of the quotes for, of one director to another? I'm very interested in, in the narrative, in telling a story. Uh, so I didn't want this to be, you know, chock-a-block. And 
I was, I mean, it was, it was, I was, I was hoping this would be the case, and I found it to be true that a lot of the experiences were shared amongst seemingly very disparate, disparate different uh, filmmakers. Um, I mean, I was surprised by some things. Like, I had no idea that David O. Russell was interested in horror, or that he had gotten his start writing a script, um, a, a horror script. But you know, you can connect um, David O. Russell to Darren Aronofsky to John Sayles, and and. I was finding that to be true in my interviews, and so it became sort of easy to weave these guys together. But then, yeah, sometimes when I found interesting subjects coming up, I would pose um, what one filmmaker would say to another filmmaker. Um, yeah, can, I, can we talk about a specific? Well, for me, I saw a lot of Kevin Smith commenting on Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> uh-huh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean he loves the guy, you know. Um, I think... I think um, we see a lot about uh, Kevin Smith showing his appreciation of Tarantino and, and showing how much Tarantino influenced him. And I, I think, as we all know, Tarantino doesn't hold back from his opinions. And uh, I let him, um, you know, lay in on uh, some other filmmakers in his own way. I mean, I think it's all in a respectful way, but it, it shows that these guys, you know, I mean, it's, it's like a video store. People would argue, you know, people would argue about stuff. And that's, that's what we love about uh, you know, movie culture. Well, I like that you really called out, like, Sex, Lies, and Videotape was one, Reservoir Dogs was another, and Clerks was a third. Really kind of calling those movies out as far as them being important or influenced by or influencing video store culture. Yeah, yeah that's definitely true. Those, those three films are, were huge. I mean, especially Sex, Lies, and Reservoir Dogs. And also Alison Anders' Gas Through Lodging and um, One False Move by Carl Franklin. Those movies, um, they, they were creatively you know, very important. But I, I think what I, did, what I discovered in the reporting and what I was really interested in was the financial impact, that the video stores were showing that they could make revenue from these indie films. And so suddenly small filmmakers like you know, Spike Lee had a way to, to, to get financing because you know, producers and financiers realized that they were going to get a back end um, through, uh, through the ancillary uh, profits from the video store. It really brought to the fore the whole idea of browsing, too. You know, the, the thing that we've lost over the last few years is this whole idea of going into a physical location and being able to just look at the shelves, be it books or comic books, or movies, or whatever, and especially in this case, video cassettes or DVD covers, and having those be the thing that catches our eyes, or having those be the thing that inform us, and you're able to kind of get your, I don't know, your pedigree of films via those video covers. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like a lifetime away, but there was a whole world before IMDb and Google, and... Um, and, you know, do you remember video books? You know, that Roger Ebert's Video Companion, you know, Video Hound? These books that, I mean, I and so many other people would you know, cherish on our shelves and we would look look up and see what the critics and, and the authors of those books would recommend. And then we would take them to um, the video store and browse and, and, and try to discover, you know, like I, I, an example in the book is Joe Slomberg when he heard of these guys, the, the Coen brothers, they made one movie and then he was like going through the shelves and he found that they made another movie. And it was like, Oh my God, these guys are great. And you know, they don't make movies just like Spielberg. Spielberg, you know, deserves his credit, but 
but they're people who are different from the mainstream, and you could discover that at the video store, especially if it was curated well. Yeah, the whole idea of a pre-buzz for movies was so different back then than it is today. And as far as there, there was that whole idea of movies just kind of sneaking out rather than having, you know, the, the, the Facebook posts or the Twitter accounts for the films. And so it was just, uh, it was interesting that he didn't know that there were other Coen Brothers films out there. Right. Yeah. It's true. And you know, you think about the culture. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know, Mike, if you, you know, experienced this yourself. But I had my entire room as a teenager was filled with movie posters, and going to a video store in Manhattan was all about just being hit with all these images. Right? The posters in the video stores were so cool, and they they um, how I you know in many ways would learn about. You know, different filmmakers. You know, maybe it's superficial, but like that Down by Law um, poster of those guys in black and white. You know, uh, I wanted to watch that movie. Now, were you a Kim's video addict when you were a kid? I can't um, admit to that. Uh, I wish I were. It, I did revere it. Um, I grew up on the Upper West Side, so I was a little farther away from from downtown. But when I moved downtown. Um, I would go frequently, and yes, I loved it. It was, it was, it became even more important to me when I became a, a uh, an editor, a movie editor, and um, a, a journalist who would cover movies. And I would go there often to get, you know, hard to get stuff. A lot of my experience, I would go to blockbusters when I was a teenager. But one of the one of the video stores that I just loved was actually up in Vermont. This small store run by this artist dude who just you know, he knew what to, to stock, and that's where I discovered Scorsese, and that's where I discovered the Coen Brothers myself. I love that there's a fairly wide range of ages when it comes to your interview subjects, but they all do share those common stories like you're talking about, because we all experienced it at the same time. No matter what age we were, we were experiencing the, the, the newness of VHS and DVD at the same time. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I. I guess I, I pinpointed. I try to say the Generation X people who were born from what is it from 1962 to 1980 were probably the most you know the sweet spot for the video store era. But it preceded that to people like John Sale. It came after that for to for people like uh, Joe Swanberg and uh, Alex Ross Perry. Uh, there's there's a wide swath of people, film fans, the cinephiles who just made the video store their cultural hub for a really long time. Now, when it came to the actual writing of the book, did you kind of write up your wish list and then kind of go from there? Or how did it happen that you got the people that you got when it came to this oral history? It, it was hard. It's, it's not easy getting directors, but it, it worked out. And, I, and it's largely because these guys took the time because they, they really connect. They really identify with the video store. And it meant a lot to them. So um, it became sort of a symbiotic thing. There were the people I went after, and then there were the ones who, who let me in because it meant, you know, it meant so much to them. And how long was the process of, of collecting all of these memories? It took me about three months to report it out, um, and then I wrote it for about two months after that. I was writing during the entire period, but also I was reporting it during the entire period. So, but overall, it took me about five, six months, I would say. What was kind of the impetus for you? Was it that closing of Kim's that um, you know you have as an appendix at the back? 
No, I when I when I went to Ken's to report uh, for the New York Times on the closing of the last Ken's, that was actually after I started working on the book. I started working on the book uh, soon after uh, the, the last closing of uh, the blockbusters. When I when there were a lot of uh, articles out there, kind of um, these sort of epitaphs of the video store. People were saying it's the death of blockbuster, it's the end of the video store era. And I was reading journalists and you know video store people talking about it. And I thought to myself, what about the filmmakers? What what do they have to say about this? Well, yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm I'm glad that you asked it because it is something. It, it brought up so many interesting questions as I was reading it. That it, just that whole idea of the the idea of streaming now and what that how that has changed us. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you hear a wide spectrum when it comes to the streaming and where we're at now in terms of what's happening after the video store era. You've got everyone from Tarantino who hates streaming. He doesn't stream. He's got this vast collection of, of DVDs and VHS tapes, largely because of he, he bought out the store that he used to work at, um, the archives, uh, when they closed down. But then you've got a lot of, in fact, you have most filmmakers who are, who are more optimistic and, and feel good about streaming. They're just hoping for, you're looking forward to the day when you can get everything and anything. And also there is better curation. Right now, you know, obviously we're all frustrated sometimes when we go on our Netflix and when we go on Netflix and we look through and we can't find what we want to, you know, to watch that night uh, to stream. But um, most of the filmmakers are hopeful about where things are going. Well, and the other thing that you brought up that I never really thought about, but was a great point, was the whole idea of you walk into the store with one idea, and you walk out with something else. And it's a great way to kind of turn yourself on to different things that you might not have ever looked for before. I mean, that's what we all experienced, right? And 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 then to hear Joe Swanberg say the same thing, where he wanted to turn over, you know, 150 different titles before he just, you know, figured out what he wanted to watch that night. Um, it's just awesome. It's, it's, it's a process of discovery. It's, you know, you think about, I don't know, some kid going down to a, a river and then turning over some rocks and finding a salamander. You know, that's what film fans did. You know, we would go into, into video stores and, and we would discover. Uh, right now, you know, you go to your, your Netflix queue and you, you, if you try to find what you want and, you know, there's some discovery process, you know, there, there's some tooling around through the, through, through the website, but, it's very different than when you have the tactile nature of being in a store and you also have people having conversations and you have a, you know, a TV set above you that's you know, broadcasting some film and it's, it's affecting you in a very different way. It's, you know, it's the real world impact rather than the, the digital at home looking at a computer way. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the curation and that whole idea. I think you have a picture in the book of the employee recommendation shelf, which was such an important part for so many video stores, especially once you started to learn the tastes of the people that work there and how they lined up with yours. Yeah, I mean, the, the, employ, the employee staff picks, I mean, who, who didn't look at them? I mean, I think we all would look at them, even if, even if, it's, if it was to criticize them. We wanted to see you know, what that knucklehead had you know, put up on that shelf on his shelf, you know, that week. But it, it was, it was, you know, person to person recommendations that, that just don't exist uh, anymore. What I personally was really excited to hear um, just during the interview process was to hear how Tarantino himself 
would recommend films. I mean, I, I was just like, I was like a, I don't know, like a little kid when I was listening to him talk about how he would recommend Eric Lomer movies to people. You know, and you, I mean, I, I wish you could hear his voice, you know, just his, you know, the way he speaks and, you know, just the way he would say, you know, you know, uh, and you know you might want to enjoy one of these Eric Wilmer movies, and and you know it's funny. It's not like going to make you laugh, but it's amusing. You know, just in that Tarantino way. And so just imagine being this person in Manhattan Beach, you know, being in the glow of this, you know, nerdy film geek, um, telling you, you know, about the latest movies. I mean, how awesome uh, must that, that have been? To say, oh, I watched that movie. Tarantino recommended it to me. Well, yeah, after the fact. I mean, all those people. I'm sure people have been dining out on that. We'll dine out that until the day they, they die. You know. So, where's the best place for people to get the book? Hopefully, you'll find it at a bookstore near you. Uh, it's also on the Critical Press uh, website, and also it's on Amazon. And it's on. There's a real, you know, it's the hardcover tactile thing you can touch. And there's also it's also going to be um, a digital version that you can download to your device if you want, if you will. And where can people keep up with you? We have a Facebook page. So, yes, it would be great if people checked out and put us likes on the Facebook page uh, at I Lost It at the Video Store. Uh, and I'm on Twitter uh, as Doc Superman. That's D-O-C, Superman, all one word, because I write about documentaries a lot. And, um, yeah, we, you know, I do appreciate uh, the interest. Are you a big soup fan? I'm not a huge soup fan. Whenever I go to places, I never get the soup. But it, it was just a play on duck soup and dock soup. And it, it stuck. Okay. All right. Hey, can you tell me about getting a tattoo with Angelina Jolie? <laughs> yeah, sure. It was one of my early stories for premiere, actually. And it was, it was quite awesome. I was uh, in Montreal. She was making that forgettable film, The Bone Collector. And um, what I loved to do when I was uh, profiling people was I like to do something special, not just, you know, have a conversation in a restaurant. I like to do fun things. So, like, I, I took the hobbits from Lord of the Rings, playing with this laser tag. So I was having a lunch with Andrew and Julie at a hotel in Montreal, and I said, let's just do something crazy. And my idea was to go to a bug museum, because I thought, you know, she's into bugs and spiders. And she was like, you know what? No, let's go get a piercing. And I was like, whoa, I don't know if I want to do that. But, you know, she's famous for getting her tattoos. So we agreed on the tattoo, and sure enough, she got one, and, and so did I. Very cool. What'd you get? Just kind of a weird, uh, I don't know, kind of like um, it's. It, I guess it looks like a Samoan something or other. It, 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 it's not, it's kind of abstract. It's just a little thing that I put on my hip. And um, she said, you know, once you get one, you're going to get, you, you'll never stop. In fact, and the truth is, it's the only one I ever got. I ain't crazy like that. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Great talking to you, and I, and I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, I do feel like you guys uh, clearly um, talk the talk and, and, and walk the walk in terms of this, you know, cinephile, fan-loving uh, thing that I think is in the book. So I'm, I'm excited to be on, on the podcast. I'm sitting all alone in front of my TV Watching everything that my eyeballs fail to see